Okay, so this morning we're going to be starting a, uh, a new series, and uh, I'm really excited about this series. We did this series back in 2015, um, and uh, it's, it's very unique. It takes different aspects of your Bible, especially parts of the Old Testament that are like... You know, one of those parts of the Bible, you know, as you're reading through some parts of Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and things like that. And so what I what I love about this series is that it should cause things to really pop out to you and bring things to light that you have never really seen before. And so we're going to do an introduction this morning and kind of work our way through it. Uh, but I'm very, very excited for, for this particular series. So, um, And the reason why I wanted to go this route, especially with in combination with Bobby's teaching on the wills of God on Wednesday, is because many of you from our last uh, note card survey that we took about prayer requests and different things you guys want to learn, many of you said in there, I want to learn how to have better conversations with my friends. I want to be a better witness. I want to just take advantage of those opportunities that God has given me. Well, one of the things you need to realize is that if that's really the case, if this is something you really want to learn how to do to be a better witness, to be a better ambassador of Jesus Christ wherever you go, then you have to be properly furnished. Your temple, and we're going to talk about this, how your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, it belongs to God. And if things are out of order, then you cannot be a good ambassador. That's why I love the wills of God on Wednesday night, because if you're walking in the will of God in those seven different areas, then you're going to have a good, fruitful relationship with God. Well, in the Old Testament, similarly, there is the tabernacle. And you, as the temple of God, need to be properly ordered and properly furnished in order for God to be glorified. So I feel like between the Sunday morning messages and the Wednesday night messages, I want to use that as a time for you to have some introspection about, okay, what is my life like? And are things out of order? And what is out of order? And what do I need to get in order? Because once you do that, like I just talked about at the very beginning, you will have great boldness and confidence to minister on God's behalf in this world. So that's the theory. I hope it actually works out that way. Uh, but we're going to be spending some time talking about the tabernacle. All right, so the tabernacle, furnishing a proper dwelling place for God. Now, as I was looking, I love this picture because this is the visual that we're going to get. And at times, I've got different pictures that are going to be on your guys' study sheet. Uh, and this is also the picture in the top right-hand corner of your guys' study sheet this morning. But we're going to talk about this because God ordered this thing on purpose for a purpose. And in fact, in the Old Testament, and we're going to see some of these passages, if not this week, later on in the weeks to come, uh, God told Moses to make this tabernacle after the pattern that he saw in the mount. So when Moses went up to the mountain and spent 40 days with God, Moses stepped into God's throne room and he had the chance to see in heaven the temple, the tabernacle that God has already built in heaven. And so he told him, I want you to build this thing after the pattern that you have seen. And he gave exact dimensions. He said there are certain things that need to be made out of certain materials, everything. So what we're going to take a look at are things that actually exist in heaven right now in God's temple. And God told him to make it after the pattern. And then again, when God gave those same instructions to Solomon to build the actual temple in Jerusalem, same thing, same thing. And so God didn't just do this just because, oh, this will be neat. I like this little square box made out of brass. Like, no, there's a reason why God did that with the exact dimensions in the position that he did within the tabernacle. And it's really kind of cool. It's one of those things, again, that in the Old Testament, we can just read right over 
or skim read or just skip when really there's some deep spiritual truths that are very, very beneficial for us in those particular passages. Okay, so let's get into this. Let's pray really quick and then we will, we will dive right in. Father, I pray that you would open up our understanding, that you'd really open up our eyes, that we, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law, that we'd be able to see in the mirror of your word this morning our own life, our own temple, our own tabernacle, and to be able to see what needs to be put back in order that's out of order. Um, and so, Father, I pray that you'd give me the right words to say, that it would be clear. And if there's anything that isn't clear, that your spirit would just work those things out in the hearts of every person that's here. We do want to pray for everyone that's currently sick and struggling right now, that your hand would be upon them this morning, that you would comfort them. Um, so that way you would be able to just minister to them in ways that really only you can in these moments. So, again, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Okay, so the tabernacle. We're going to hit the introduction. All right, so the introduction to this one. Point number one, we're going to talk about the intro. So the details and the events of the Old Testament are in samples of New Testament spiritual truths. You'll see this all over the Bible. We talk about this constantly, whether directly or indirectly, but the details and the events of the Old Testament are examples of what God's trying to communicate in the New Testament when it comes to spiritual truths. And this is incredible. I mean, little things like when Jesus was in John chapter 3 and he spoke and he talked about the serpents that were biting the people and how Moses lifted up the, uh, the, the brass serpent and whoever looked upon it lived. Like that's one example that God has given. There is an Old Testament picture of what he's trying to communicate about a New Testament spiritual truth. That that serpent is a picture of Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross that whosoever believeth will live forever. So that's just one example. But this is something that we see all over the place. So so Romans 15.4, it is written for our learning. So your blank there is learning. Learning. And then let's take a look at this verse together. Learning. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Those things in the Old Testament were written for our learning. There are many things that we can learn, many types of different things that we can learn of spiritual truths by these events in the Old Testament. Every word, every event of the Old Testament, God placed there on purpose. There are many things God could have documented, but He documented what He did in the Old Testament on purpose. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, in samples, and they are written for our admonition. That's your blank. Admonition. Admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And that is absolutely true. We are at the tail end of human history. And these things in the Old Testament, we need to take heed. It is written for our admonition. Now what would be a good definition of admonition? Admonition. Yeah, more of like a warning. Hey, just give you a heads up. If you go this direction, it's going to be bad. It's an admonition. The Bible does that all over the place. So these Old Testament truths are admonitions for us, that we need to be warned about different things if it enters into our life, how it's going to hinder our walk with God and our ability to glorify God. And then let's go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy, chapter three, and give me a reader for verse sixteen and seventeen. Let's go from the back row. Reader from the back row. Okay. Second Timothy three, verse sixteen and seventeen. 
<clears throat> All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all the works. Okay, I love these verses. So it says, all scripture. And by the way, when he's talking about this, the New Testament has not been finished yet. So just keep that in mind. So when he says all scripture, what is he talking about? The Old Testament. Now, he wouldn't refer to it as the Old Testament. It would be the scriptures. And his scriptures were Genesis through Malachi, what you have in your Bible. In different order, because the Jewish Bible is a little bit different. But it's those scriptures. So when he says all scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for these four things. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That is doctrine, the things that are right. Reproof, the things that are wrong. The Bible tells you what is right. The Bible tells you what is wrong. That's why it's our authority. And it's not man's opinion. It's not a church tradition. We believe what the Bible says. The Bible tells us what's right. The Bible tells us what's wrong. The Bible tells us, thirdly, correction, how to fix what's wrong. And of course God would do that. I mean, think about that. Does God love you? Yes. The greatest proof of that is Jesus dying on the cross for you. And that's what 1 John talks about. So if God loves you so much he would die for you, how much more would he give you a book to tell you what's right, what's wrong, and how to fix what's wrong? He would. 100%. And fourthly, instruction in righteousness, how to keep it fixed. Because he wants you to walk in righteousness. He wants you to do the things that are right and that will please him, that will bring him glory. So the Bible is the key for everything. And this is why we harp on this all the time. Because if you are unwilling to change your heart and believe these things and get in the Bible, there's nothing we can do for you. Like, I can't, I can't help you. And I can't make you, just like I can't make you know, my wife and my kids get into the Scripture. I can't, I can't do that. The only person that I can control is me. And if I don't want to get into the Bible, it's because there's something wrong with my heart. There's something wrong with my perception of God as my Father and understanding that He loved me so much to give me a book that tells me what's right, what's wrong, how to fix what's wrong in my life, and how to keep it fixed. And so if I believe that, I'll, I'll get in it every single day. I'll understand that this is part of, of my lifeblood. Like, if I don't have this, there is no way that I can glorify God. And so I'm willing to bet that there are many things in your life, as you're trying to walk with God, or that you say you walk with God, that you are extremely frustrated. And it's because you don't get your heart in the Scriptures. You don't. You, just, you, don't, you don't lay yourself open before the mirror of God's Word, and you don't let it be the boss in your life. Because when you do that, there is peace. There is absolute peace. When I let God rule and reign in my heart, and if I obey Him, there is peace in the midst of me and all my circumstances that I can't explain other than the fact I'm doing the will of God. And that's why verse 17 says that the man of God may be perfect, 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 truly furnished unto all good works. So when you're willing to believe the scriptures, let it be the boss to tell you what's right, what's wrong, how to fix what's wrong, and how to keep it fixed, God promises that you will be truly furnished unto how many good works? All of them. All of them. Everything that you need to do to glorify God comes from those four things. And so who's going to be the boss? Are you going to be the boss? Or are you going to let the Bible be the boss? Because if you let the Bible be the boss, well, then you'll be perfectly, truly furnished unto all good works. 
Or if you're going to be the boss, you're going to be extremely frustrated. And many of you guys have been you know, learning about those things, especially over the course of the last several years of being in high school uh, and even in middle school, because God's really bringing these things to your attention. So this is why we're doing the tabernacle. God wants you to be truly furnished. First Corinthians talks about how you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we're going to talk about that in this next section. All right, so secondly, God's dwelling places throughout the Bible. So God has chosen throughout the scriptures to dwell in certain places, certain places. Uh, give me a couple readers for this one. Give me Isaiah 57, 15. You got that one? Alana, go ahead and take Isaiah 66, 11. Everybody else go to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Why would God choose to dwell in things or in places? Why would he want to do that? Go ahead. To make his presence more tangible. Uh-huh. Yeah, to make himself known. Why else? Think about it. Let's use our brains this morning. I know it's not too, too early. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's think about it. Think, think logically a little bit. What does it mean to dwell with or to dwell in? Yes, why? Yes, why? <laughs> dwell, um, be around, be with. Uh-huh. Um, all of, like, <laughs> <laughs> you and I, you and I dwell yes. together. Yes, yes. We are in the midst of each other. There you go. Look, look, the brain is coming alive. I know. I love it. I love seeing it. All right. So why would God want to do that? Because he loves us. Yes. So we can be closer with us. Yes. Think about it. I mean, just think about it in general. The greatest picture of our relationship that we have in front of us, that we can see day in and day out, of our relationship with God is the marriage and the family. Now, a lot of times in those scenarios, it doesn't work out well because there's not good godly relationships in marriages and families. So this is where those pictures break down, but the enemy is doing that on purpose, for sure. But when I think about, like when I come home, I want my home to be a place of peace. I want my, my home to be a place of rest. I want to be a place where we can actually live life out together. And sometimes that takes work. I mean, it takes work to get your house properly ordered, properly furnished. We're going through some of that stuff right now. That's what say. <laughs> None of that's happening right now. Yeah, no, it is. We're in the process of getting it ordered. And so there's things that over our crazy summer that we've been neglecting because of ministry and other things that now we have some time because this usually my downtime uh, with the ministries I'm involved in that I'm responsible for is like September, October, November, and then it's over. And then everything has just goes haywire. So we're going to maximize these three months to try to get some things in order so we can enjoy the holidays, the, the spring, everything like that. Okay. So it takes time and it takes work in order to do stuff like that. But you need to be able to work together to make it happen. 
or even with when it comes to your kids like there are things that Lucas wants to do or that Lily wants to do like even this past Monday you know we went fishing and we've not had the chance to go fishing together in a long time and it was a ton of fun but it took work it took preparation I had to call my dad my dad got his stuff ready for the boat he's not taking the boat out in months and so then we go out and we enjoy our time together we're dwelling together in the midst of the boat even though you can get a hook stuck in your thumb which I did and I went to stack care which was tons of fun but despite that <laughs> there was the, the just the fun that we had of my dad catching like a four to five pound bass and Lily reeling that sucker in and getting pictures of it and you can only enjoy those moments if you're properly prepared and things are properly furnished so you can have fellowship and it's the same thing in your Christian walk God wants to dwell with you he wants to have a habitation with you. And we'll see throughout the Bible, he's dwelling or is dwelling or chose to dwell in certain places for a particular reason. God is not a God that's afar off. He is a God that is near. And he wants to be near because he loves you and he cares about you. But he can't dwell with you properly until you're furnished properly. And he wants to. And it's just up to us. All right. So read Isaiah 57, 15. I love this verse. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth in eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Okay, did you hear that verse? That verse was stinking amazing. It's worth reading again. Do it again. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth in eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Okay, so God dwells where? <clears throat> eternity. He dwells in eternity. Okay, we can't even fathom eternity. Like, it just doesn't... I try, and my, my, my brain just goes... I mean, it just, just disappears. But those are things that are amazing to me, that God inhabits eternity... He's called the High and Holy One. And then He chooses to dwell with Him who is what? What are those words in there? Contrite was one of them. What was the other one? Humble. So even though God is high and holy and inhabits eternity, He wants to dwell with those that are contrite and that are humble. That's amazing to me. That is absolutely amazing to me. So God dwells in eternity. He dwells in the universe. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? So God dwells in the universe. There is no place in this entire universe where God does not know where things are happening. And then he chose, and this was kind of the first time he really showed in the Bible, outside of walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, that he wanted to dwell in a certain place with a group of people, Exodus 33. So take a look at Exodus 33, and we'll start off in verse 7. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called the tabernacle, called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. 
And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again unto the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So this is the first time the tabernacle was built. It was set up. All the furnishings were properly in place. And then, bam, God's presence showed up at the tabernacle. And he met with Moses and talked with him face to face. That's a beautiful picture. That when you say, okay, God, I want to please you. I want to walk with you. I will order my life appropriately. God will meet you there. He'll meet you there. The issue is, are you really willing to order your life appropriately to meet with God? That's what you need to do. And we're going to talk about what does that mean. What does that mean? All right, so he also dwells in the temple. We don't have time to go to 1 Kings 8 or 2 Chronicles 5, but he dwelled in the temple after they built that in 1 Kings, and you see the same sort of thing happen uh, there as what happened in Exodus. All right, let's get a couple more readers. Colossians 1.19. Colossians 1.19. Colossians 2.9. Jared. Um, and Matthew 1.23. You got that one? And then everybody else go to... Ephesians 1, give me someone that will read 1 Corinthians 6, 17 and 19. Ben, you got that one? And 2 Corinthians 6, 16. Who wants that one? 2 Corinthians 6, 16. Okay. So everyone else go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. All right. Okay, another one of God's dwelling places was Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.19 and 2.9. Listen to these two verses. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Alright, and 2.9. Two, yeah, go ahead. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay, so in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily was in him. So God dwelt in and with Jesus. So that shouldn't be any crazy thought because that's what the Bible talks about. Matthew one twenty three. God with us. So God dwelt in Jesus Christ. And then the letter F there, the born again believer. Now this is where it really starts to become very applicable to our, our life. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Look at these verses. I love these verses. I talk about them all the time. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. So very simply, again, I talk about this all the time. These are some of the clearest verses in the Scriptures that tells you what happens at the moment of salvation. So you hear about Jesus. You hear the word of truth in verse 13, the gospel of your salvation. You finally hear the truth of the gospel. And you choose to believe it, the next part there in verse 13, in whom also after that you believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So the moment that you trusted Christ as your Savior, the moment that you called upon Him to save you, the Spirit of the living God... I just want to pause for a second. Did you just hear that? The Spirit of the living God moved in. Moved inside of you. That is incredible. That is incredible because do you know you? I know me. God does not deserve to dwell in the midst of who I am. But 
because I've chosen to believe Him and trust Him through the Gospel, the Spirit of the living God has moved inside, and He has sealed me, and this is the earnest of our inheritance, of my future inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, that's me, that's my, my soul, my, my body, my spirit, unto the praise of His glory. That is absolutely incredible. And so that's why you can't lose your salvation, because you trusted God and He moved in, and you're now sealed until the day of redemption. All right, listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 17 and 19. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So when that happens, his spirit comes together with your spirit, and now you are one spirit, which is why it's a picture of marriage, by the way. That's the way God always intended it. And verse 19. What? No, you're not that your body is a temple. Start that over. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Go ahead. What? No, you're not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not here. One more verse. 20? Yeah. For ye are followed the Christ, and are glorified God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, 20 is after 19. That's good. Okay. I know, I know. Just kidding. I love those verses. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It belongs to Him now. So your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It is the temple of the Spirit of the living God. That is your body. So what are you doing in your body? I think that's a great question. Because if this body belongs to God, what am I doing with this body to honor Him? Because it belongs to Him now. See, that's why Christians need to change their behavior. Or should I say, God helps them to change their behavior. Because there's a lot of things that are in our flesh that we can't really change on our own. But you should really be careful about the stuff that you do with your body. I mean, all the way around. I mean, from the stuff that you see, from the things you listen to, the things you consume, the things that you do with your body, with other people. I mean, anything you can possibly think of, this thing belongs to God. Okay, so if this belongs to God, and then I engage my body in an act that doesn't glorify God, is that helping me or hurting me? Hurting. <laughs> That's hurting. Yes. So think about that. That should change your perspective on things, because there may be things that I want to do that I can't do anymore. And honestly, you can look at that two different ways. You can either look at that and say, well, how dare God being so stinking selfish that he wants me to behave that way with my body? It's my body. My body, my choice. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's the concept. But here's the, here's the reality. It's not my body. It's not my choice. I mean, honestly, from God's perspective, my body does not belong to me. So therefore, what does God want me to do with my body? And how can I honor him with my body, with my soul and my spirit, by the way? Because that belongs to God as well. So even your attitude and your behaviors and your motives and all that stuff, it belongs to the Lord. So are you going to believe the Bible today? Because that's the challenge. If we're willing to believe the Bible then our life will be different because it belongs to Him. And maybe you've just not made that decision yet. Maybe you haven't made that decision that your, your body actually belongs to Him or not. But that's something that's huge, huge. And honestly, when I look at it, yeah, is it a cost to me? Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, that means I can't really do what I want with my body now. But what did I just think and gain from it? <laughs> like, 
eternal redemption um, forever with the Lord. Uh, I'm not going to go to hell and be separated from his presence for all eternity. Mm, small price to pay. In fact, I'm willing to say, all right, God, whatever you want. Like, seriously, you did the impossible for me. How can I hold? How, how could I hold back from you? How could I hold this back from you? You didn't hold anything back from me. So why should I? It should change the way you think. You just need to chew on that a bit. 2 Corinthians 6.16 And what Okay, clear verse. You are the temple of the living God. God dwells in you. He walks among you, inside of you. You belong to Him. You do. You may not like it. You should. Because it's the greatest thing on the planet. The greatest thing on the planet. All right, so that leads us into our next point. All right, approaching God, and we're talking about the tabernacle. Again, think back Old Testament, all right? So if they wanted to have a relationship with God, we just read that in Exodus 33, they had to go to the tabernacle. They had to go there, and they had to do things in order to meet with God. You are now the tabernacle, all right? But approaching God must always be done on His terms. Always. Not ours. This is not a two-way street when it comes to this. We need to approach God on His terms. He is the Lord. He is God Almighty. Not you. You are not God. You cannot tell Him what He ought to do in your life. That's not how this works. You are submissive to Him. And if you have a hard time with that, then just go back and remember how much He loves you and cares about you. Because when you remember how much God loves you and cares about you, it makes it very easy to submit to Him. Very easy. All right, some really good verses. I mean, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I love those ones. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. If you're willing to trust the Lord and lean upon him, he will direct you where he wants you to go. Love that. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You have to approach him on his terms. Go to Ezekiel 14. This is a very, very good passage of Scripture that a lot of people do not understand. And it's worth taking just a couple minutes to go through this. Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Ezekiel, chapter 14. Now, the nation of Israel, they struggle with many different things, but one of the things they struggle with is that they were not willing to approach God on His terms. They were at first, but over time, the flesh kicked in, and their selfishness kicked in, and they wanted to change God's terms, and they wanted God to meet them on their terms, and it just did not work out. So, here's something that Ezekiel came in. This is right before uh, their captivity um, from Babylon. And Ezekiel was a prophet who was warning them, was admonishing them to change their ways. In Ezekiel 14, verse 1, it says, Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? All right, real simple. Just pause over a second. These guys are approaching God, and they already have preconceived ideas and beliefs that are contrary to God, set up in their heart that they want to believe. 
So they are not submissive. They are not willing to say, okay, I don't care what I believe. I'm going to yield to the Lord. I want to do whatever God says. No, they've come to say, okay, I have this idea of who God is and what I want and I want what God wants to do for me and, and how I want things to happen. And I'm going to come to God on my terms. This is what they're doing. They have these idols already set up in their heart. And God's attitude immediately, should I be inquired of all by them? Like, should they even have the right to come and even speak to me because of their attitude? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, verse 4, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. So what God is saying there, this is amazing to me, what God is saying there is that if you approach God on your terms and you have a bad attitude and there's something that you want that you know is not right, and you come to God and say, God, I want to know your will for me in my life, and you already have this idol set up in your heart. And let's just use a practical example because this happened in my life, it happens in other people's lives, it comes to dating, all right? So let's say that you have someone in mind that you are infatuated with. And I use that term on purpose because you ain't in love, you in infatuation. So you're, in a, you're infatuated with this person. You're just taken by their looks and their beauty and their just gorgeous emotional state, whatever it is. All right, so you, you like this person, all right? So you approach God and say, Lord, I want to date this person. Would you please allow me to date this person? And you're praying that, you're praying that, you're praying that. Rather than saying, God, in my heart, this is what I want. And I might be wrong. This may not be the right move for me. In my heart, my emotions, I mean, I'm feeling like I want to date this person and then I want to pursue more than a friendship with them. But God, I don't care what I think or how I feel. If this is not what you want, would you please make it clear? Because I know that my heart can deceive me. And I know that, as Jeremiah 17 says, that my heart is desperately wicked and it is, it is deceitful. And I can't even trust my own heart. In Proverbs 26, you even say that he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. I don't want to be a fool, God. So if I'm not thinking right, if I'm not feeling right, I need you to show me. I need you to make it clear because I don't want what you want. Do you see the difference? There's a lot of people that go to God because, God, this is what I want. Please bless me. God's like, hey, I don't work that way. But here's what God will do. Because if you're persistent and stubborn and just thick-headed or thick-hearted, then you say, God, this is what I want. God will say, fine, go for it. And then people say, oh, it's the Lord's will because he allowed it to happen. No, you are a moron. You already had the idol set up in your heart. You wanted it so bad that God said, fine, yeah. go ahead. And people then put God's name on it, and God's like, I have nothing to do with it. But I'll answer you according to the multitude of your idols. So we are wicked and deceitful. This is so important. This kind of, this goes underneath a, a brand new, deeper level than what you guys would normally get, like in, you know, little kids Sunday school. This is where really the rubber meets the road. This gets down to the motives and the intentions of the heart, which the scripture exposes really, really well. So you have to approach God on his terms. A couple of different examples that we don't have time to get into, but letter A and letter B. This is an interesting study. Look up these verses later, but God's ways is, is always east to west. On the earth, when you're on the earth, you look in the Bible, God travels east to west. He never travels west to east. That's really interesting. 
you just start to see that pattern in the scripture. The other one that's interesting is that in the universe, God travels south to north. Never the other way around. South to north. The third heaven is in the north. His throne is in the sides of the north. When Lucifer was cast down, he was cast down to the south. And so that's an interesting thing to just consider. You have to approach God on his terms and not ours. All right, now let's get into this with some of the more practical stuff, and then we'll wrap it up. But I really wanted to lay the foundation this week on these things. Okay. All right, let me work through these real quick. Okay, the furnishings of the tabernacle. All right, so there are several things we're going to take a look at. We're going to look at each item per week, and we're going to work through it. We're going to read the Old Testament passages, and we're going to go through all of those dry parts of your Bible that will definitely come alive. And so we're going to kick things off next week with the brazen altar, the brazen altar. Now, what's really cool about the brazen altar is that this is the very first thing that you see when you come into the tabernacle. So... Um, let's see here. This will work. Okay. So we're going to do pictures each week, but here you've got the tabernacle. All right. And we're going to do it from God's direction. Okay. So this is the south. This is the north. Okay. All right. So you have your entry into the tabernacle. And the very first thing that you see right here is this brazen altar. You can't go anywhere else unless you go past the brazen altar. This is really cool. So we're going to talk about that next week. And so that brazen altar is made from a very specific material. There's something very specific that needs to be done with that brazen altar before you can go anywhere else and proceed to get into the presence of God. So it's really cool. So that is the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice, and it's made of brass. Then moving in, you have what's called the brazen laver, the brazen laver. Now, the brazen laver will be anywhere probably around this area, and that's way too big, but I'm just doing it here just to show you the placement of it. So after you have the brazen altar, you have the brazen laver, and there would be water that would be in this brazen laver for washing of the feet, washing of the hands, and as you can see, there's the foot of the brazen laver that has the spot where they can wash their feet, because if you can imagine, they're on the tabernacle out in the wilderness, you got dirt all around here. So there'd be dirt on their feet and on their hands. There'd be blood on their hands from the sacrifices that they'd be doing. And it was a place for the priests in order to clean their hands and their feet. It was just kind of cool. And that was also made of brass. And then getting into the holy place in the most holy place, you'd have a part here with a curtain in between. And you would have the table of showbread. Now, if I remember this correctly, I'll take a look at it again. I think the table is on this side. I want to say it's on this side. I might be wrong, but I think it's on this side. And the candlestick is over here. It's super awesome. Okay. So this table of showbread right here, there was bread to be baked fresh every morning. And it was supposed to be placed in two rows of six. So you have six along the top, six along the bottom. So you had 12 in total representing the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, but ironically, 66, because it's a number of books in your Bible. How about that? So we're going to talk about that, the bread, the Word of God. And then you have the golden candlestick. Now, this golden candlestick was on this side, I believe. If I might be wrong, it might be switched, but the golden candlestick is on this side, and that is supposed to be always lit in the tabernacle. Because once you come into here, you pass through the brazen uh, altar, you got the brazen laver, there'll be an entry into the holy place, and this would be completely dark because it's covered with curtains. And the curtains over top that were made of very specific material, certain colors, this would be completely dark in here, and the only thing that gives light in this area is the candlestick. So that would be there. And that's made of gold, and this is made of gold as well. And then you have the golden altar, and that would be this spot right here. 
where they would offer incense. And there's a censer that was involved with that. But the incense here is a picture, and we'll talk about this, of your prayers unto God. But the coals that are here come actually from this altar. And it's, it's very interesting. We'll talk about that. And then in the most holy place, you have the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. And this is where God's presence would show up. And once a year, the high priest would be permitted in to take the blood from the spotless lamb and spread it over the mercy seat. And then God, it would atone for the sins of the people. So it's really cool. And it's made of gold as well. And then you have things that are inside of the Ark of the Covenant from the Old Testament. You've got the Ten Commandments. You've got Aaron's rod that budded. You've got one small pot of manna. And so that was all in the Ark of the Covenant. So you have the Ark and the mercy seat that sat up on top. So we're going to talk about all those things. But those are all the things that you would find in the tabernacle. And we'll take one week at a time and take a look at those things. So it's really kind of cool. So some other interesting things about the tabernacle. There is no chair in the tabernacle. There's no chair. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. There's no place for anyone to sit in the tabernacle, which is interesting because when it comes to ministry, it never ends. It's always moving. There's never a time to sit and rest. But it is interesting. There is one thing that's kind of cool. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews. Makes me think of coffee. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1. Give me a reader for verse 3. Verse 3. Okay, go ahead. But there's no seed in the tabernacle. Well, there's a reason why there's no seed in the tabernacle is because Jesus didn't show up yet. Once Jesus showed up and he shed his blood, he sat down. Because before, there was, when you look at the tabernacle, before they were constantly doing this. Well, Jesus is now the only sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice, the payment for sin. And so now there's no need to do this anymore, which is why, think about this, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple tore and rent in twain from top to bottom. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that happening to these Jewish priests? Because, by the way, the Passover was going on during this time. So the Passover is happening. I'm willing to bet you a million bucks. I don't have it. But I'm willing to bet it, all right, that the high priest, once a year he'd go in. And I'm willing to bet that the high priest was in here. And when Jesus said, it is finished, and that curtain tore from top to bottom, he was applying the blood of the spotless lamb on the mercy seat when Jesus said, it is finished. I'm willing to bet you a million bucks that's what happened, because that is so like God. He does stuff like that all the time. And they would have been freaking out, because if anybody in here saw was in here, they were immediately dead. They were dead. They were dead men. God killed them. Only one man was supposed to be able to go in there once a year. And when Jesus died on the cross, that temple curtain in the middle was rent from, in twain from top to bottom. It's really cool. All right, so Jesus sat down. But there's no chair in the tabernacle, and that's why. All the furnishings were made with portable rings, which is interesting. And that's a great picture of your earthly tabernacle. This is a temporary dwelling place that belongs to the Lord. And this tabernacle was made to be movable. 
to go wherever God wants it to go. This is similar with your, with your body that He chooses to dwell in. And then lastly, the tabernacle was not pretty from the outside, but on the inside it was beautiful. You know, when you look at the curtains and stuff, let me go back to that picture that I had here. I mean, when you look at it, there's some interesting colors, but it's like brown. I mean, it's like kind of weird. And so you look at that and you're like, it's not the most prettiest thing in the world. But in here, it's all gold. I mean, all of it. You step in and it's gold. When you step into this place back here, there's no light in here, only the presence of God. But when God's light showed up here and it would have reflected off of that golden altar and that mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, it would have been incredible. It would have been gorgeous. When you see in the, in the future when the temple was built, the inside of the temple, everything in here, everything was gold. The floor, the walls, everything. It was gorgeous. Gorgeous. And so our tabernacle is not pretty from the outside, but on the inside it's very, very beautiful. And God is very pleased when it's ordered appropriately. Okay, so in closing, I just want you to think about a couple different questions. Thinking about your life, thinking about what's going on in you right now. How well is God's habitation prepared and properly furnished in you? Do you feel like things are out of order in your life? Because I'm willing to bet that if you feel like things are out of order, there's something out of order. I mean, I know what it's like when, you know, you know that feeling you get like when you clean your car, you clean your room and things are in its proper place? Like it's like, <sighs> for a moment. That's what we had for a little bit. And then it goes, when then kids get involved and other people destroy things. Anyway, but when things are in the proper place, there's a, there's a moment of peace that you might have. If things are out of order, you know it. Like deep down, you know that there's something not right in your walk with God. And so what is that? How is God's ministry hindered or enhanced by your tabernacle? That's a really good question. How is God's ministry hindered or enhanced by your tabernacle? Because that will make all the difference in the world. And then lastly, what areas of your life do you feel are out of order and need attention? Very similar to the first one, but I wanted to word it that way as the last one on purpose. So what areas of your life do you feel are out of order and need attention? Don't ignore that stuff. I mean, for real. Do you want God to be glorified in you? If you do, then you need to get properly ordered. And we're going to talk more about it in the weeks to come. All right, give me someone to pray and close this out. Thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I thank you for um, just speaking through Stephen this morning. Lord, um, I pray that you just give um, all the teachers, preachers, whoever is um, telling us your word today. Um, Lord, I pray that you just give them words to speak. And, um, I pray that um, we're good listeners and that um, with open hearts. And, I pray that you just be over our fellowship um, today after church as we go to lunch into the park. And Lord, I pray that this just gives us a good boost for the rest of the week, that we can just um, be extra bold this week for you. And Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.